welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast that analyzes the work of Star Wars creators. I am John. I'm Mike. And we are here this week on the Nerd Party Network to bring to you the uh, analysis of Gareth Edwards' movie Godzilla, released in 2014. But before we get into that, uh, we wanted to float a question out there for everyone. And Mike, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, as we record this, um, Rogue One Catalyst has just come out this week. And I'm wrestling with a question. I'd be curious to know your take on it. I don't know if I should read it before Rogue One comes out. What would you say? Um, I would say that's a really weird thing to hear from you. Isn't it, though? Because you've yeah. been reading these books like mad. You've read all of these yeah. books. You read the Ahsoka book. I did read the Ahsoka book. You read like the young adult novels. I have. But here's the thing, right? Well, first off, when I saw this question, um, I, I thought of a, uh, a, a a podcast which I had proposed that, that Drew and I were, were, were talking about doing at one point, which... Uh, the premise of the podcast is pretty much self-explanatory in the title that I came yeah. up with, which was, should I read this? It's canon. Ah, because, yes. because this is something which, which comes up every time I'm in like a grocery store or like a bookstore looking in the children's section and I see like a golden book for Star <laughs> Wars and it's like some sort of expanded universe thing or whatever. And I always pick it up, take a picture of it and then post the shot on 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 Twitter and say, should I read this? It's canon. Yeah, the the whole thing that spurs the question is that, you know, reading Bloodline, for instance, is one thing. You know, Force Awakens has come out. At the end of Force Awakens, you're kind of like, so what did happen in those 30 years in between? And Bloodline says, well, here's a hint. Here are some things about the state of the galaxy. You say, oh, well, that's very interesting. It doesn't necessarily, you know, further the plot of The Force Awakens in some way, but it does, you know, fill in some of the emotional, you know, backstory of something. Rogue One Catalyst is a lot like when they released um, Labyrinth of Evil before Episode 3, or uh, I can't remember the name of it, before Episode 2, and oh, uh, uh, The Approaching Storm, where it's these tie-in books that are designed to enhance your appreciation of the film you're about to watch. And I just, I don't know, man. Like, there, there's this sense of, I shouldn't need to read this book to enjoy the film. I should be able to go into this film and say, wow me on your merits. Star Wars, there was nothing released before that in 1977. The novelization was released in 1976, and they had the comic book adaptation. But there wasn't some sort of thing where they released a book explaining the state of the galaxy before Star Wars came out. Okay, there's like 15 things here to 
discuss. Okay. This All is right. an extraordinarily complex issue. And, you know, why are we talking about it here? Well, because it does have to do with, you know, uh, authorship and creators and work yeah. and all that stuff. Um, my first exposure to something like this on a personal level was the summer of 1996, where uh, I, I believe it was Marvel had a couple of deals with various movie studios to release prequel comics for upcoming movies. And one of them was for Independence Day. And, you know, the whole thing was like, the prequel to Independence Day, read it before you see the movie. And I'm like, I'm totally reading that before I see the movie because I can't wait to see Independence Day. And I read it. And there were like three or four things. There was like one thing where like Randy Quaid's character is like abducted. I remember that. Yeah, I, re- well, I, I, gosh, just as you're talking about it right now, I suddenly mm-hmm. remember it. Yes. He's like abducted by aliens. Yes. Right. And it's like, oh my God, he's abducted by aliens. And then he comes back and he's like, you know, like, oh my God, I was just abducted by aliens. And then there's like a scene where like Jeff Goldblum goes into the White House or it's yeah. not the White House at that point, and like he punches Bill Pullman because right. he thinks that he's having an affair with his wife. That was the thing that I remember more than anything else because I watched it, and I'm like, this is really interesting. This is some interesting backstory. And then I go to watch the movie, and it's like, Randy Quaid says that he's abducted by aliens, and everyone's like, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, he was, guys. I know, because I read the comic book. And right. then... There's like the thing that it's like a joke, essentially, where they say, you know, it was, I think it's it's Jeff Goldblum's dad. You know, Judd Hirsch is like uh, he he punched the president. Yeah. And they're like, you punched the president. And he's like, well, I wasn't the president at the time. And I'm like, that was like this. I was 16 years old. Right. I was just sort of like yeah. figuring out how like stories worked and stuff, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, OK. That line was clearly constructed in a specific way. And this comic book, what I'm seeing now, is literally nothing that I needed to know about this movie prior to seeing it. In fact, what it's doing is it's just taking events which were referenced in the movie and explicitly putting them in a comic book, essentially ruining those moments in the movie. Yes, but uh, Star Wars as a property has been especially uh, devoted to the idea, and this is pre-Disney. This is back, you know, even when Lucas was running the show, of releasing these sorts of materials as a warm-up, as a, you know, world-building that arguably should occur on screen or that I either, to speak to your point, don't need to read. And actually, you just jogged my memory that there was another thing because they released a uh, a comic story. I forget what magazine it was in. It was not a it was not an actual comic. It was a, a comic story, and it was a standalone couple of pages explaining Spock's presence on the whatever that moon was called in Star Trek Oh Nine. Yeah, um, yeah, and and showing him stranded on that planet in in a sense which ruined the entire surprise of him saving Kirk in that fatal moment, you know, when the creature is trying to attack him. You know at what point in the movie he's going to appear, basically. Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. I remember when they did the countdown thing there. And, you know, I mean, to me, that is more like what 
catalyst will be because you know the the point you know that that I'm trying to make is like this is not the Independence Day comic book thing, right? That I mean, there may be some elements of that which creep in, but especially now, you know, with the shared universe and everything and the new canon and and all that stuff, you know, there is, I think, a very very strong effort on the the parts of people like Pablo Hidalgo and um Leland Chi and, and and all those guys to make everything work and work in like a specific way and not to do things just to do them. I mean, yes, there's absolutely one hundred percent a, you know, economic reason for doing this. Right? I mean Yeah. They're totally cashing in. But like you were saying, with like, you know, Bloodline or whatever it's called and, and you know, all of the other tie-in books to Force Awakens, like those all came out after Force Awakens, right? You had yeah. you had like the, the Lost Stars thing, which has the, you know, explains how the, you know. Why Jakku is a, a, a junkyard. Right, right. You yeah. know, it's got that stuff, but it it doesn't have, you know, like, you know, backstories for these characters who we've never met or anything like that. So the fact that they intentionally held off on that stuff, but they're not holding off on this makes me think that this is not the same scenario. They're not going to be ruining anything. Mm. But here's the other thing about it, right? Whether or not it's the truth and okay, let's face facts. It's not the truth. They're they're pretending at least that there's not a hierarchy to this content. You know, it's like the books are just as important as the movies are just as important as the cartoon. Mm. You know. Yeah, I but but they they can't be because okay, I have a divided household in this sense. You know, I read all of the Star Wars ancillary materials. Rogue One has to be constructed so that if I take my wife to go see it. She's not going to read Catalyst. She has zero interest in reading Catalyst. Yeah. And that's but, definitely the case. But at the same time, you know, I I, I don't know. I I I mean it's going to be it's going to be there after the film as well. Should I is. just leave it alone and not bother with it until after I've seen Rogue One because you know, there's bound to be something in it that's a tidbit. And I'm going to be sitting there the entire time I'm watching Rogue One saying, okay, where does it tie in? Where does it tie in? What 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 ties in here? What? Oh, it's that it's that one from page 213 is where it happened. <laughs> I, I definitely see what you're saying. And I'm sure there'll be some of that. And I, I guarantee you that when they were constructing the script for Rogue One, they weren't thinking about, you know, like, oh, well, you know, this is what's going to happen in Catalyst or whatever, you know? I mean, but at the same time, like, I could totally see another thing. I mean, look look at the uh, the, the uh, prequel book to Rebels, New Dawn, right? Yeah. Like, that to me really added a lot. I, I read that before I, I watched the, the show, and that to me really added a lot to to the backstory going into Rebels. But But isn't that a cheat? Shouldn't a film be able to speak on its own terms? And I don't need this material. Uh, it totally will. And uh, you don't need to read that book in order to understand Rebels. But having read it, it helps. You know, it does help. And this is a, a, a cross-platform continuity. And, you know, the the books 
are supposed to reinforce the movies and vice versa and everything, and it's about a much larger tapestry. And I don't know. I would trust them and say, like, okay, this is coming out. Now, I mean, I guess the question is, how much of it is you wanting to see how the movie stands up on its own and how much of it is you worried about it destroying the movie for you? Because if it's just a question of saying, like, uh, I might think the movie is better than it really is because I read this book first, you know, well, in that case, who cares? Because it's more about the larger picture and not just that one thing, you know? Uh, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah, I, I suppose it's a question that I will have to ponder up until, you know, probably a week before. I, I will probably waffle on this uh, b- back and forth for a while. But I will tell you what I did not need to read anything beforehand to enjoy was Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, hmm. uh, released in 2014, a uh, remake. I'm not going to say reboot. It's a remake of Godzilla, mm-hmm. a movie which has been remade goodness knows how many times through the ages. Uh, Mike, you want to give everybody a uh, rundown on Godzilla? Sure. Um, there is a giant monster who destroys the city. <laughs> I mean, okay. You that's, know, it, it's... that's um, Yeah, okay, that does happen. That does happen, sure. Um, you know, basically... Uh, it starts off, you know, like a good 15 years in the past and, you know, the good old days of 1999 when people were, uh, they had just seen uh, Godzilla and they were about to see um, episode one. And uh, in the meantime, you know, there's some weird seismic activity going on in Japan and Brian Cranston and uh, Ray Al Ghul, I mean, not real Ray Al Ghul, but, you know, fake, <laughs> fake Ray Al Ghul, are, are there, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, you know, separately. And Brian Cranston is, like, really obsessed with, with this thing because his wife uh, died, uh, and, you know, he just won't let it go. And, you know, the government said there was one thing going on, but it certainly looks like something else was going on. And now, 15 years later, there's some weird activity which is happening, and it awakens something. And uh, that thing is uh, going to destroy the city, unless this other thing which awakens uh, kills it first. And, yes. And, you know, now Brian Cranston's son is in the military and everything like that, and he's going to go try to save his dad and the world and uh, hijinks ensue. Does that make any sense? I mean, is that more or less confi- confusing than a monster, you know, comes? I, to- I, I, th- I think, th- I think that um, there, there's an even more straightforward way to say it, which is um, that uh, a son and a dad with, with family issues have to come together just in time for tragedy to happen. And uh, the son to go off and fight uh, big beastie, yeah, um, yeah, and 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 you know what's really weird about this movie? Like the weirdest thing in this movie, what's and, that? and it's it's kind of a Star Warsy thing when you think about it. So like Avengers, I think had just come out, right? If yeah. I'm not mistaken, or not Avengers, whatever it was, Captain America, Captain America, 
Winter Soldier or whatever just come out and there was the teaser for um for for Avengers 2 and they were going to have the twins, right? Played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. uh Elizabeth Olsen and then we see this movie which also stars Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen but they're married. Yes. And then next summer they're in a giant blockbuster where they're twins. Yes. So that's weird. Maybe that's what got Gareth Edwards the job. Maybe. Who knows? Anyway. So what did you think of Godzilla, the magnum opus from 2014? Um, you know, I, I, I like it. You know, the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it. It didn't blow me away by any stretch of the imagination. I thought it was a decent movie. And I was like, that was good. And I'll never see that again. You know, and then like a week later, they're like, Gareth Edwards is directing uh, Rogue One. And I'm like, the guy who made the raid? And they're like, no, that's Gareth Evans. Gareth Edwards is the guy who made Godzilla. And I'm like, oh, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. Now I guess I need to watch this movie again. And it makes it see it makes a lot of sense because I I remember seeing Godzilla in the movie theater and my reaction was. That was really good. It was better than I expected it to be. And I think it's better than it has any right being. Because Godzilla movies traditionally have been somewhat lackluster. You go for the the fun, the, the schlock value, as it were. But I think that uh, the real joy of this one, and re-watching it, I found that same joy, is that this plays like the movie that the original creators of Godzilla had playing in their heads when they decided to make it and it it plays like Gareth Edwards came in plugged in and said okay I'm going to make the movie you guys had always tried to make but I got money and a studio behind me now so you know let's go ahead and make it and I you know frankly I think that we will probably see echoes of this in Rogue One in the sense that there is an estranged child with a brilliant scientist father who is trying to stop a monstrous thing from happening. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, obviously it's not going to be a one-to-one, but there's, I think there's that echo that you're going to see in Rogue One. And, you know, I think that that's probably why they gave it to him is that, the, you know, Rogue One is, if anything, it looks like it's going to be a big action movie, but that it's going to try to anchor itself with that core relationship. And so I think that's probably why he got the job. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think the other thing which we see here is like this is sort of a I mean, I'm going to use this word and it's going to sound weird, but gritty, realistic sort of like take on the material in and rogue one is going to be that it appears for star wars where it's you know it's gritty for godzilla it's gritty for star wars you know i'm not saying that it's you know you know freaking zero dark 30 or anything like that you know right uh, but yeah you know i mean it's got that kind of thing and you know that's one of the things which i find to be most impressive about it is like one of the things which really struck me watching it this time in particular were these sort of like tableau shots um, where you see like an entire city or like a few blocks and then you see like the wreckage and the wreckage is like undeniably 
you know, the the path that a monster has walked through this city, you know, and it just it, it's it's like, you know, sort of like a disaster film on uh, the 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 scale of something like Independence Day. I think, you know, it's weird because the 98 Godzilla was directed by Roland Emmerich. It was the first movie that yeah. he made after Independence Day. And I think a lot of people thought like, oh, yeah, you know, bring that Independence Day aesthetic to a Godzilla movie. And now now we're talking. And what we got instead was, uh, you know, Godzilla 1998, Gino. Yes. You know, <laughs> as they yeah. call him. <laughs> yeah. God- Godzilla yeah. in name only for those people who don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, this is in a lot of ways, I think, like the movie that people were thinking they were going to get back in 98. Yeah, no, there's no doubt that this is the movie that I was expecting, you know, not this specifically, but this sort of experience is what I was expecting back in 98, for sure. I can say that one of the things that really struck me as a director, Edwards seems to have a really, really strong knack for musical timing. Um, I lack a better phrase for it, but, you know, I know that they borrowed the cue from 2001. But that scene where they, you know, do the halo jump into the battle zone where Godzilla is, that is such a beautifully edited, composed, executed scene. It's just, it's like just to watch it again. That was that was one of the previews. Actually, was to you know take that sequence and 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 put it up there. But one of the things that that breaks my heart in a sense is watching it this time. I paid very close attention to uh, Alexander Desplat's music. And I think it's a, a darn shame. And this takes nothing away from Giacchino, nothing at all. But I think it's a shame that we're not going to get to hear Desplat do a Star Wars score at this point. I listened to that music and I thought to myself, oh, I, I really wish he could have brought it for Rogue One. I'm always going to regard that as a missed opportunity. Yeah, you know, I was kind of thinking the same thing. You know, it, it was a score which I never thought of while I was watching the movie the first time around, but this time kind of like paying attention to specific elements and stuff like that. I was like, oh, yeah, this is so cool. And then we'll get to hear something like that. Oh, wait, no. But, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, but, you know. But it, it, it was a really good score. And, you know, I think it's interesting to, you know, see that this is like, uh, this guy's take on an iconic sci-fi property, you know, and now he's going to be taking on a different iconic sci-fi property. And I think that there's something really interesting about that in, in a lot of ways. Well, something I'd really like to see is, uh, you know, I, I think you've made the point over and over again where you want to see directors come in and do something different and fresh with Star Wars. And, I think that some some fans were standoffish. I know I was for a little while about Abrams bringing his own style into The Force Awakens. And I think that this could be a real breakthrough because there are rumors that the opening of Rogue One is not going to be you know the big explosive fanfare with the title crawl. Yeah, but it's going to be something unique. And so I paid attention to the opening of Godzilla here, and I kept thinking to myself, this would be really interesting if he uses the credit sequence in the beginning 
to tell the story of the state of the galaxy, to give everybody sort of a, a, a refresher course on where they are, how they got there. Because, it, you know, I'm not necessarily a big fan of title sequences that, that try to tell a story. I look at Superman 2. I look at Blade 2. I don't like the way they do that. But I look at Godzilla as an example of something where, yeah, they address it later in the script, but it's still a really fascinating little short film that they make out of the credit sequence. Yeah, I mean, there's a way to do it, you know, and there's a way to do it well. I mean, this and this is one of those instances. I think that the design work in it is is perfect. I think that that it really does help to, to set up the entire story. And uh, I I can't see them doing that for for Rogue One. I mean, maybe the the opening is going to be different and, you know, that's cool and everything like that. But I can't see them putting all the credits up at the front of the movie. I just I just can't see that happening, you know? Maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm thinking maybe they find a middle ground the way that um, the Clone Wars did, mm-hmm. where you have that little... Uh, maybe they have narration, maybe they don't. But the Clone Wars, that that was very jarring with that first movie that they released, and it was something that I had to come to be accustomed to uh, with the series, was that opening where you had, you know, sort of like the the World War II film reel of these are our boys out fighting in the galaxy and this is what they're up to this week. Mm-hmm. Could yeah. they find a middle ground there? I think that if they do, Edwards is a good guy to 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 do that with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think that if they do that, it's going to be something much more sort of like shocking and, and concussive, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think, I think it's going to be like sort of like a smash cut into, you know, the world. Right. I don't know. That's just my, my feeling given the, uh, the, the subject matter, you know, for this particular instance. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm very excited for Rogue One, but I've also been a little standoffish because I'm not sure how these anthology movies are going to go, but Godzilla Rewatching it made me excited for Rogue One in a different way because I saw somebody who has a really good sense of timing and shot composition and everything seems to flow easily. Now, Godzilla is not a movie without flaws, definitely, but it is a movie where I can tell you having now rewatched it, I would probably go back and rewatch this again, which is nothing I would say about any previous Godzilla movie that I'd ever seen. Just visually, there is enough interesting about this Godzilla movie, and even emotionally, it, you know, in the beginning scenes, you know that 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 it makes me excited for Rogue One in a in a whole different way. Yeah, you know, as I I do enjoy Godzilla and. You know, I'm not in love with it. And the thing that, that I found really interesting about it this time, I think because because I enjoyed it but was not in love with it, when they first announced, you know, Gareth Edwards as the director of Rogue One, my reaction was something along the lines of, oh, that's cool. You know, whereas, you know, that's like not the reaction that I should be having for the announcement of a director of a Star Wars movie, I should be going, 
oh my god oh my god this is the but most amazing thing me, ever you know what let I mean? me challenge that though because i guarantee you that back in 1970 whatever when they said and irvin kershner is going to direct the empire strikes back yeah no that's true just about just about everybody said why isn't lucas doing it and the other people there was probably five percent that said oh the guy who did eyes of laura mars mm -hmm. what yeah, yeah, that was the, I think that's what my reaction would have been like. The guy who did Eyes of the Lord, okay, all right, that's fine. That was a cool movie. That's a weird choice. And then when you know they announced Richard Marquand, I'd be like, who? Right. <laughs> no, I mean that's definitely true. Yeah. And if you if you want to look at the new movies, you know, I mean, let's just start at the beginning. J.J. Abrams. I'm like, oh my god, that's the most amazing thing ever. You know, Ryan Johnson. I'm like. I don't understand why everyone likes this thing. And then I see Breaking Bad and I'm like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. And then Colin Trevorrow, yeah. I'm still like, that you guys, boy, guys, way, way to think outside of the box. It's, uh, that's not a predictable choice at all. Grabbing the guy who made Jurassic World to make episode yep. nine. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. And then, you know, but, but then you say like, oh, well, Miller and Lord are directing a Han Solo movie, yes. and I'm like, what? Oh! <laughs> but like Gareth Edwards, I was I was just like, ah, yeah, that's good. I mean, he's a good director, you know, whatever. But watching it this time, I I had the same reaction that I did to watching the movie the first time. Maybe I liked it a little bit more than I liked it the first time. But you know, watching it with this sort of like you know focused you know, perspective and in terms of, you know, uh, who's directing and everything like that and why I'm watching it this time around. The thing that I, I noticed was that the direction itself is really good. You know, the things that yeah. are, are maybe like lacking in, in, in a lot of ways are like the writing and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, maybe the premise on the whole, maybe I'm not as big of a Godzilla fan as I should be or whatever, you know, but I was, repeatedly amazed by the direction you know the way that uh shots were were constructed the way that scenes were constructed you know that sort of thing i was i was very impressed with the direction of the film even if i wasn't impressed with the film itself as much as maybe i i could have been and I know that right. that sounds like maybe I'm trying to be overly optimistic about this, but I'm not. You know, I'm I'm really not. If we want to talk, no, about no, no. I, I think there nine. are plenty of examples of you know <laughs> movies where you can tell that the that the director brought their A game and in a in a sense elevated something where in a in less capable hands it would have been Godzilla 1998 all over again. Yeah, that basically somebody with a, a great skill set came in. And said, I'm going to take this movie that would have been a joke to most people and turn it into something where everybody's going to walk out saying, I had a pretty good time watching that. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think we, we would both give it our stamp of approval to go ahead and uh, head on over to whatever service you like to use for streaming or uh, disc service and go ahead and give Godzilla a watch or rewatch, if you will. Yeah, I'm disappointed now because twice, twice now I, I've watched this movie and both times I've been like, I want to see it in 3D. And both times, due to <laughs> circumstances beyond my control, I've been denied. And so, all normal people in the world were perfectly happy to watch it in any format 
other than 3D. Gareth Edwards has gone on record as saying that he, I, like, I don't think that he designed it for 3D necessarily, but he's gone on record as saying that he likes the 3D version. You know, it seems to be his preferred version. And I, I'm guessing, mm. I mean, that's why I'm planning on seeing Rogue One in 3D myself. But whatever. You're my 2D for me. That's all I got to say. And okay. you know what else is for me, for everybody, Mike, is Loot Crate. Oh, if yeah. you go over to lootcrate.com slash nerdparty, you can help Great Shot Kid. You can help the whole Nerd Party Network, home to so many great shows. And uh, you can go ahead and get a discount on your brand new subscription to a service that delivers to you a box of goodies can, every single month. Can, can I just say something about this? Okay. Of course. Okay. Um, I, I live in an apartment building, right? And all of our mail is put down at the bottom of the, the steps. And yeah. uh, the guy who lives in the basement apartment, yeah, he subscribes to Loot Crate. Oh! And I know this because once a month I come home and I look and I see a black box that says Loot Crate on it. And his name, his first name is, is, is also Mike. Right? Oh. So I'm like, Loot Crate, Mike. <gasps> and then I see the last name and I'm like, oh. <laughs> so be like Cool Mike, who lives in the basement of Mike's building, and uh, subscribe to Loot Crate at lootcrate.com slash nerdparty and use the code nerdparty and get a discount on your brand new subscription. Now, they can help the show by going to Loot Crate, but how can they contact us, Mike? How can they contact you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can also contact us as a team if you go to thenerdparty.com slash contact. But where can they find you if they want to, you know, hit you up well, personally? Well, you know, the, the, the best way to find me is, you know, look for Kessel Junkie. I'm out there. But the best way you can uh, find me and speak to us is to go to iTunes and go ahead, subscribe to the show. Give us a star rating and review. And uh, help other people find the show. If you're enjoying Great Shot Kid, then undoubtedly you tell other people, hey, there's this podcast I listen to. Imagine being able to amplify that to the world. That's what you do when you give a rating and review of Great Shot Kid on iTunes. So if you have a moment, go on over and give us a rating. Otherwise, you can go ahead. You can find me at Kessel Junkie out there in the wilderness that is known as the Internet. Thank you for joining us at Great Shot Kid this week when we covered Godzilla by Gareth Edwards. Come back next week when we're going to be covering The Rocketeer by Joe Johnston.